From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome to The Dairy Show. I am your host, Lisa Benke. And when we hang up that new calendar on the wall each year, it's like we have this fresh slate. I don't know what it is, but it's such that it makes us feel like we have the chance to affect change in our life in a positive way. And as we begin this year of 2024, I'd like to welcome you to our first podcast of the year. Today, we will be visiting with a very successful dairyman who also has parlayed his knowledge of financial wizardry into helping us other people succeed in the financial realm. On this episode, we'll explore how retaining good employees and how financial fitness touches on that aspect of not only management, but all facets of your life. So ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I welcome to The Dairy Show, Ray Dykeman. Ray, welcome to The Dairy Show. Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. And I'll explain to you a little bit about my background. My dad and my mother were uh, dairy farmers after my father got out of World War II. And my brother and I became partners in 1979, probably milking about 120 cows. And since then, my brother and I grew the business up to about 1,300 milk cows. We also started a, another dairy 11 miles away that was an envisioned dairy that milks 600 cows. We also have Dykeman Bobanic, which works on the equipment on the farms. And we also own a sand pit. We own a golf course, Hales Mills Country Club. I started four investment stock clubs. And I also am starting a real estate stock club that we invest in real estate and things like that. So that's the two dairies that I have do quite well. We have phenomenal employees on there. Let me touch on how I got into the financial end of things. I am curious about that because with so many balls in the air, you just rattled off five different enterprises. And on top of that, you've spun off into this financial advising world. So yes, please tell us how that came about. I'm not a professional financial advisor, but I got 30 some years of experience in dealing with finances and stocks and things like that. Been through some extremely rough times. If many of you might remember the dot-com bubble in 2000, 2003, or the financial crisis in 2008, 2010. But basically when I was in my 20s, I went to an investment seminar in Albany with my brother and two other friends. It was basically going to be a night out on the town and have fun and got through with the investment seminar. And one of my buddies said to me, man, you're really quiet. You're not saying anything. And I just said to him, did any of the things that they were talking about bother you guys? Because we don't have anything saved. We don't have any retirement. We haven't done anything. We don't understand so many of the things that he was talking about. And so that led to me really researching finances and stocks. And then I became so into it that I wanted to teach it. So I started a stock club in 1996. I started another one in 97, another one in 98. And then in 1999, I started a stock club for my son's sixth grade class in school. And so those kids would come in and they put $10 in each month and they would invest and we would talk about stocks. And the kids that remained in that club today are very successful today. They're all in their 30s. They all have fully funded their retirements, fully funded their Roth IRAs. Some of them own businesses today. But these are the things that need to be taught to younger people off the farm. That I, I kind of work a lot with the farming community, but I want them to establish retirement accounts, 
Roth IRAs, things like that, um, in order to separate the, the farm from your personal assets. I believe it needs to be separated. Traditionally, I think those of us engaged in dairy farming believe that you're always plowing your capital back into your equity. You're plowing it back into the operation. But you're telling us that at the age of 20, you learned a lesson in setting aside and creating other streams of revenue. I did because I think if you talk to a lot of farm families, there's a lot of the older generation that didn't have enough money put aside for their own retirement. So they grew the business. But the problem is now they're faced with a lot of farms can't afford the older generation to sell the farm to the younger generation. So they have to either gift it to them because the farm can't stay in business. Farming's a very interesting enterprise. So they have to try to gift it to them. And the older generation can't make enough to support their retirement. So I think today with the younger farmers, if they're farming and they're younger, if they set aside a certain amount of their income per personal and get it away from the farm, that way, if the farm wants to continue on to the next generation, it's much easier if the older generation doesn't need the farm in order to retire. They can retire with their own personal assets. You've demonstrated that you are able to juggle multiple balls, multiple enterprises. Diversity has been kind of your middle name throughout your farming career. How did all of these different enterprises spin off of the dairy farm that your parents started and you and your brother then worked into? So it's funny because the second farm that we have over in Amsterdam, I started that when I gathered up three decent sized farms and then a bunch of other entrepreneurs in our area, as well as some young college kids that were getting out of school. And the minimum investment was $10,000. And then we bought a, a dairy that was failing in Amsterdam, New York, not too far from my other dairy. And we bought that and it was to try to encourage younger people to get in the dairy business and, and become entrepreneurs and learn about businesses. That's the first one I started. Dykeman Bobanic was started when we had to put in a new milking parlor in 2016. We didn't have a dealer very close to us, so we took on the dealership to build our own milking parlor. And now we service a few farms from our area as well. The sand pit was an interesting story because we didn't have enough sand to bed our cows down with at the current pit we were buying from. So we purchased a sand pit that led to the same person owned the golf course next door. My brother and I are both avid golfers, so we ended up buying the golf course next door. And now we have a golf course, restaurant, so to speak, bar and things like that. And that takes up a lot of time. My brother is there way more than he wants to be sometimes, but he works a lot up there to take care of that. The investment clubs were just something that I did out of fun. I never made a lot of money, but I'm the one thing about being on a farm, a lot of times some of your bills are paid for, like maybe your heat and electric and things like that. So what I tried to do with the stock clubs is, is I tried to make them a bill that I had to pay. And by making that a bill that I had to pay, now here I am 20 some years later with quite a bit of money sitting in stock clubs that I wouldn't have had if I didn't decide to meet with a, a group of people and we met in a guy's garage. We all threw 50 bucks a piece in and we started investing. 
And then it grew more interest. And so other people wanted to be in a club. So I started another club and then another club. And then the, the fourth one was very interesting with the, my kids' sixth grade class. So that was, that was a lot of fun with the kids. I love that you're able to track their successes. And speaking of successes, as you run all of these different businesses, you and your brother are working your own tails off, but I know you employ a lot of people. And Ray, that is another thing that I wanted to talk to you about today is retention. You have phenomenal retention of employees. And let's talk about that for a minute. How have you managed to parlay your financial fitness lessons into successful team building and retention of really good employees? It's kind of funny and not to say it's necessarily always the right way, but I believe in servant leadership and I believe that the best way for me to lead my team is to hire the best people that I can and then get out of their way and let them do their job. And I'm very proud of the fact that as I sit here at Daytona Beach in my house and on vacation, I have not received one phone call from my business since I've been down here, which is very different than a lot of people. I come down here sometimes with other farmer friends of mine, and they're constantly on their phone trying to figure out what to do back in their business. And I'm sitting there going, why are you doing this? It's driving you crazy. It's driving me crazy just listening to the way you're handling certain things. Why do you not let those people do their job? So I believe in servant leadership. I believe in sharing the power. I don't need to be looking over people's shoulders to see them do their job. Mainly what I do at home anymore as I look at numbers. I want a very high producing herd. I want one of the best herds in the New York State. I do believe I have one of the best herds in New York State. I can prove that with the numbers, but I don't need to be there. I just got to look at the numbers and analyze them and say, hey, if, and I do compare numbers with a number of farms also called benchmarking. So when I benchmark with other farms, if I'm weak in an area, we come home and we have a meeting about why am I not as good as these other farms? What am I lacking? And then my people get to work trying to figure that out. That's how I manage people. I think you're being very humble too, Ray. Let's talk about the herd statistics a little bit. 1,300 cows at the one operation. What is your rolling herd average there? If you take the rolling herd average is around 30, 31,000 right now. I think the last time I looked, we were about 95 or 96 pounds of milk a day on 1,260-some cows with a 4.3 fat, 3.3 protein, somewheres in there. Our pounds of solids per day per cow is running right around 7.35 right now, somewheres in there. That's high for us. That's at our peak. But that's what I'm trying to do is every year we're trying, we're not trying to make really huge improvements, right? And I think even in personal life, you can't try to make big, huge improvements. You've got to take these little baby steps that get you to the next level. And I know at my farm at home, we have to be really picky to try to get the next, how do we just do better? Well, we got to be very picky now because we are at such high production. So we got to be, and that's pound ship. That's, that's a very honest number of what I'm shipping per day. When you were 20 years old, obviously the big light bulb came on and while your other buddies were thinking about where you're going to go next to grab a drink, you're thinking ahead. And I can tell you're very goal oriented. Ray, what are your life goals and how have those changed over the years? My life goals are changing uh, tremendously. And uh, so I think the, the main, my life goal when I was younger is how do I take care of myself? So the farm if I need to give it away someday for, 
to continue on? How do I take care of myself personally in order for that to happen? And I think that's one of the main things, the the life goals that I want is I want to figure out how to take care of me and my family personally so the farm can continue on its own, no matter how we have to arrange that someday or whatever. My second thing is, and I've been doing this for a long time, is teaching the personal finance thing, trying to reach out to these younger people to get them on the right track. I do believe that if they were educated properly when they were younger, I believe at the age of 45 or 50, they never have to work again. If they make a commitment to saving 15, 20% of their income, I know most people will say they can't do it, but I know when I was a younger person, I didn't always have the best car. I didn't always have, well, we didn't have cell phones back then, right? We didn't have cable TV. People think that Cable TV is something that you have to have. It's not. They think that the latest iPhone is something that you have to have. It's not. They think that the coffee from Dunkin' Donuts is something that you have to have. It's not. We have different ideas about what we have to have. I know what I have to have is 20% of my income put away. So when I'm older, I don't have to work anymore or I can enjoy buying things that most people can't buy today. You've got 30 plus employees, and so many of them have been with Dykeman and Sons Incorporated for 10 years, 15 years. You've got even some 20 year employees. And I think everyone listening that manages people is probably going to marvel at that unto itself. Are you imparting these same values and goals to your employees? And has that contributed to their satisfaction? And tell us about your secrets to retaining employees. Ultimately, I guess you would have to ask them why they stay with me. I would like to think that I'm a very good person to work for. I do encourage them to save. Most of them are in the stock clubs that I have. They've participated in financial education. Most of them are in the retirement plan. I'll be honest with you. I I believe that I have the best calf raiser in the whole Northeast. Uh, I believe that I have the best herds people in the whole Northeast. I believe that I have the best mechanic in the whole Northeast. All those jobs I could not personally do. I mean, I did them, but I wasn't very good at them. I believe that what you have to do is you have to seek out these people that are better than you than, than every aspect of your business and then let them do their job. I was not the best calf raiser in the world. And, and anybody will tell you, if you put a wrench in my hand, I can't even use it. I'm not a mechanic. I was a pretty good herds person, passed a lot of that information off on the herds people that are currently there. So I, I knew cows and I love cows, but I think that's the thing. And now that they're doing it, I only step back and I only analyze with a computer what they're doing anymore. And then if I see something that I just don't understand or I don't like, I just bring them in and quiz them on it. And then within weeks, there's a new motion underway that they're changing something with the feeding or the production's down or whatever. How we put feed in is changing all the time to get better. So these are all things that I just challenge them and then just step back and just see what they do, how they take it from there. You're having that global perspective of the operations and looking for those anomalies that need to be addressed. That's, I think, what a lot of people don't make the time to do. And if you're not letting people do their jobs, that's where you're carving out the time to do just that. And look at the dividends that it's paying you in the time that you're spending looking for ways that, as you pointed out, 
you can make the best even better. I'll give you one example. Everybody's heard of cows get foot warts on the farm. In 2017, we made a commitment that we did not want any foot warts on the herd ever again. And we have eliminated foot warts on our dairy. And most people still struggle with that today. Our latest thing is we've been attacking any type of mastitis. We want to try to, if we can't eliminate it, we want to just make that as small amount as possible. Everything to do with the the care and the well-being of the animal is what we're after on every aspect of the farm. We dig into each aspect of why are cows either not making it or what do we got to do to make their lives better? That's what we try to do. And my people are amazing at coming up with ideas of, okay, we got to do this or we got to try this. And, you know, one of the things that I've always instilled into my people is I would rather try and fail than not try it. We have to try it. And then if it doesn't work, we take two steps back and then we forge forward again. But the things they teach in college institutions today are the things that these more productive dairies are going to be trying today. And then they're going to be teaching at school someday, right? Some farmer is testing this out to see if it works. And then if it works, the colleges are going to pick up on it and say, well, this is what we need to do, right? And that's what, in my mind anyways, that's what we do as dairymen. We experiment. When your team comes together, Ray, you obviously are, you're sharing the wins and you're, you're examining what we can be doing better. So as a group, you're considering the progress and what needs to be done to get to the next rung, aren't you? We you certainly are. And my nutritionist on the farm, he doesn't even work for me, but he checks my production numbers every day. He's part of the team. My foot trimmer is a part of the team. If he sees something that he didn't particularly like on the farm, he will call me and say, hey, just so you know, I don't think they're pushing up feed enough or I don't think they're doing this. And I just, you know, I don't, he doesn't want any trouble, but he just wants to tip me off that, hey, you might want to look at this. And my nutritionist is on the farm two, three times a week. And he's constantly challenging the crew on how to do a better job. What do we got to do to get to this next level? And and I think it's just challenging people all the time. How do you get better? How do we do better? You're never satisfied with where you're at. You've shown a constant trajectory that's going up, 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 and you can't manage that that you don't measure. So you're constantly measuring all those important metrics that contribute to success. So I have a question for you. Success seems to be one after another for you, but was there ever a time, Ray, when you felt a pinch, like you were worried financially that that this next venture wasn't going to pan out and you were worried? I know that that's what a lot of people say is they point to the fear of risk, the fear of taking that first step with either an investment or a purchase. How did you overcome that? You know, that's a good question because I think sometimes it's just experience and fighting your way through it. And, you know, when you bring up the the word risk, risk is very funny because I would rather take risk when I was younger and take a chance and, and do it than get to be 60 some years old and wish that I hadn't done it or tried it. And risk is a funny thing because I would rather take risks when I'm younger, calculated risks, than I would. I think what's very risky is getting to be 60, 70 years old and not having anything. That's risk. So I think it's very risky not to put money aside. You know, it's very risky to say, well, I'm not going to make it that 
to the 60 or 70 anyway, so it doesn't matter. That's risk. To me, when you're younger, taking these chances is not really that risky. There's a lot of things that don't work out. We had a couple of failed venture things, but you know what? Five years after they're done, you just kind of laugh about it and it is what it is. We tried a composting thing that didn't work out. We tried couple other things, you know, one other thing that didn't work out, but so you try it and you, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. It's, there's no such thing as, sometimes we put too much emphasis on failing. I just don't believe that it's failing. It's, I tried it, it didn't work. I'm going to move on. You know, that's just the, just the way it is, I guess. Which is why you're so diverse now. You've got all of these different enterprises that are pulling their own weight. I guess, too, when we talk about risk, I, I think what's funny is typically when you're looking at risk, people say, what is the risk if I do this? And I think the more powerful question to ask is, what is the risk if I don't do it? And I think if we ask that question more often, we'd be more willing to take that leap of faith and do things. I, I think you're 100% right. I think sometimes our biggest fear is losing some money. And the fact of the matter is, is people will tell me they don't want to lose money because that's why they don't put it in the stock market or they don't put it in index funds and things like that. But, but, but you're willing to put money on a credit card and not pay it off every month. That's, that's risk. If you have a credit card and you get the bill, you pay it every month. You don't hold a balance at 20 some percent interest. And I, I work with so many young people that think that the only thing they can pay on their credit card bill is the minimum payment. No, get it paid off. Don't have debt. One of the things I learned at that seminar I went to many years ago is I want to be the one that makes 10 to 15% a year, not the one that gives it away to a credit card company at 20% a year. I want to make that money. So with a good index fund, you can make 9 to 10% a year. And if you're 20 years old and you make 9% a year for the rest of your life, guess what? You're a multimillionaire by the time you're 55 years old. It's not that hard, but we make it hard. We make it sound impossible. It's, it's very easy, really, to do it. But you got to be willing to take the ups and downs. Best thing you do is get in some index funds and just put it away monthly forever and don't look at it until you're 60 years old. And then you wake up and say, oh, my God, what happened? It's that's that's how simple it can be. I'm struck by just just listening to you talk how positive you are. You're always adjusting and revising things to keep moving the ball the direction you wish to go. But that positivity, what are some other ways that people can remain positive in this environment? And one of the things we wanted to talk about, because you have been such an active voice for agriculture, helping people understand, particularly again, with someone who employs over 30 people, New York has some pretty interesting labor laws. And tell us a little bit about that, how they have impacted you and how you have worked with government officials to help understand agriculture's unique needs as it comes to employing people. I have the privilege of being on the NEDPA board in Northeast Dairy Producers Association, and we're constantly advocating and trying to talk to political leaders. I've invited them to the farm. You know, there's so many things. And a lot of these things are put together by well-meaning politicians that don't understand our industry. They don't understand that we don't dictate the price we get for our milk. So the fact of the matter is, is I wish they would understand it better. My employees stay with me for a reason. I don't mistreat them. They can go anywhere they want to go. 
But the fact of the matter is, is they don't understand our industry. None of them have had to do what we've had to do to get where we got. And some of these things are going to affect us going into the future. I believe that there's going to be a loss of farms in the, into the future. And unfortunate, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, they don't do more research on the subject before they pass what they believe to be well-meaning laws. They don't even talk to the employees. If they talk to my employees, they would know. I take care of my employees. But my one of my employees even said to one of the politicians one day, my biggest fear is you're going to do things to him and it's going to cost me my job someday because he's not going to be here anymore. And that very well could happen in the future. But they don't do the research. They just, they they make these laws by their feelings. Okay, well, Farmers are mistreating people, probably, but don't bother coming out and talk to my people. Fact of the matter is, is these things are not researched very well before they put them into play. And my wife does the books on our farm. This new thing with this lowering the overtime is an absolute nightmare, but it is what it is. Right. If the overtime wage threshold were to be lowered, there's simply not enough hours in the day to get everything done in agriculture that need to be done when it's harvest time or when it's milking time two or three times a day or when equipment breaks down. Yes, there are certainly a issues to address. And I just applaud you, Ray, for, again, your positive approach. You are affecting change where you can, and you are celebrating the wins with each person whose life you have changed or have affected personally with your advice that you've passed on. And I guess as we wrap up this episode of The Dairy Show, I'd love to ask you, Ray, what are the key pieces of advice that you'd like to share with listeners to pave the way to financial security in 2024 and beyond? And speaking directly to those engaged in the dairy business. Yeah, so I think there's different ways in the dairy business that you're going to have to be, we talked about it earlier, diversity. There's different ways to make money besides just milk, I guess. So you need to be acceptable of diversity. You need to be acceptable of change. I think you either adapt to change as we go forward or you're going to get ran over by the ones that do adapt to changing. You may not be happy with the change. You may not like it. But it may, in all reality, be the best thing for you as time goes on. So you got to be adaptable. I I think the main thing that I would like to leave, uh, especially with younger farmers, separate your personal life from your business life. Don't invest everything back into the farm. I've got a friend of mine that's extremely wealthy, and he told me many years ago that he, when he gets to be a retirement age, he wants six to seven different places that he can draw income from as he retires. So if one thing is struggling, maybe the other is picking it up. You know, have your retirement at work, have your Roth IRA, do a stock club if you want to, whatever, do a real estate club, whatever, whatever floats your boat, whatever you want to do, but make it so the business can be sustainable in the future without you having to provide it with money Uh, or the business having to provide you money to retire on. You have money coming in from other sources so the business doesn't have to do anything to, to buy you out. That makes the business sustainable. 
Thank you so much for these pearls of wisdom. And I wish you and your dairy and your portfolios and all of these young people that you have assisted with a positive message of invest in yourself, invest in your future. We all are given the same number of hours each day and the way you've chosen to spend yours is remarkable. And I hope that people will, as they flip this calendar over to the year 2024, pick up on your positivity and look at ways that you can affect your financial health and the well-being of those around you in the same way that Ray Dykeman has. Ray, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 